The scripture reading for today comes from Matthew 1, verse 19 to 24. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Well, as we start our Advent series, one of the... Uh, one of the things I was thinking of coming into the season was, wouldn't it be nice to have the power to predict the future? Um, in our turbulent times, all the, when I you turn on the TV, um, listen to anything, we're always talking about the future. Many of us live in the future. Like my best friend um, who works in the financial markets used to have five math PhDs that worked for him, and all they did was model the future what could happen uh, for, um, for what he did. And which was funny to me because he was absolutely a C plus student, right? And now he has math PhDs, you know, working for him. But, um, and so sometimes when we come to, when we, when we come to this issue of the future, and as we look at the story of Jesus, we talk about biblical prophecy, right? And many times we can confuse the two. These two are very different. Being predictive is different than biblical prophecy, right? So if you, think about, if you think about scripture and how God frames himself, he is completely uh, outside of time and space. So he sees the end from the beginning. Where we make our best guesses, he sees the... So when he speaks of things, he says them with sometimes certainty, and we see in the Christmas story, as we go through Advent, that God is dropping all of these nuggets from the very beginning of Scripture to the end of Scripture, because he's seeing it all in front of him. We have this gravity, I don't know why, we have this gravity as we always want to pull, we, we always want to make God smaller so we can deal with him better. It's just our natures, even the, even the best of us, even the most godly, it's easier to think of God smaller. And we break him down to a place where he no longer becomes God, but he becomes a good advisor, maybe just a best friend with superpowers. So we're always having to fight that God is bigger. He's really who he is. And so biblical prophecy is finding these things and saying, what is the story God is telling? And now always remember, and when I talked about this um, a few months ago, back before we entered into this land of milk and honey place that we're at now, our, our beat up little, uh, little church, is that when God is telling a story, he doesn't tell us all of it at once. That's not a good storyteller. It's a terrible movie, 
right? If you watched a movie and they told you, oh, by the way, at the end, you know, this happens. You'd be like, okay, let's get out of here. Um, it's, it's not worth it. So you're always, right? Always, God is always telling it. And so with prophecy, this is what happens. God is, God through, um, God through scripture, as we look at this, is, is leaving us all of these nuggets. And then all of a sudden, they all come together. And many times in ways that we did not expect. So let me ask you this question. Have you ever had a prophetic experience? Something that was well beyond you. Not just like, oh, wow, is, you know, is this your card? You know, that's you know, like, whoa, how'd you do that? But I mean something that was really different. So I, have a, I became a Christian in a tradition that really loved God, really loved Scripture, but really, really did not, just didn't emphasize, almost talked down about anything that, was, that would be what we would call prophetic. And then I've met brothers and sisters in Christ who have completely uh, thrown curveballs at me. So I have one friend, loves the Lord, and grew up, uh, grew up as a Southern Baptist. And as a kid, he would just tell me these stories. He goes, he goes I could see things. Like I saw angels. And I saw things. And my parents didn't know what to do. And he goes, and I couldn't sleep at night. It scared me to death. And then, but... But, so he has this prophetic ministry. He meets with business leaders. He listens to God. He tells them. Right? But he's the kind of person that, that Shandy would come to my house to watch the Warriors game. And he would walk in and we would talk. And, he was really, and he's really quiet, really humble. And then he'd look at you and he'd say, hey, Eric, do you know there's an angel on your roof? And I would go, okay, that's nice. Yeah, it's blue. Oh, okay, a blue angel. Like... So I'm not moving from my house. I mean, that's, that's settled. But he would say things like this. But, and I always would just hold them because I'm skeptical, right? Somebody comes to me and says, God has a word for me. And I'm like, yeah, I, he's already spoken through his word. But when somebody does that, I'm a little skeptical. But there's been these experiences. One of my favorite was when my daughter got into some of her favorite colleges four years ago. And then there was this outlier of a college that she goes, I feel like God's calling me here, but they have no recognition in their program. Nobody's ever heard of them in my major. This makes no sense for me to go to this college. And then she'd say, but I don't know why it feels like God is calling me to go here. And so Shandy comes over during halftime. He, I go, let's go talk to we, we go, let's go talk to my daughters, because he would always come in and just drop these little bombs and, and mess with them. So it's fun, right? You have kids, that's what we do, right? So he, he looks at my daughter, Audrey, and says, are you, th- are you considering going to college in Nashville? And Audrey looks at me like, Dad, what did you tell him? And I go, I haven't told him anything. I haven't told him you're looking at colleges. I haven't told him word one. He says, why? He says, because the Lord's saying that that might be a really good de- choice for you. Had no idea, had nothing, and sure enough, Audrey's in her senior year. It's been a really great match for her. So what happens when God, how does God break into your life? Can God do the supernatural? Now, in my life, God has also done that to me a few times, and it scares me to death. I was actually with one of my friends who's a church planter. And we were praying in a group. And he said, one thing you can pray for me is my daughter 
He's in Central African Republic. And he says, we have to take my daughter to France. Uh, She has a blood disease. And if she doesn't go, she will die. He had two older sons who died from this disease, from from the same same illness. And as we started praying, um, I'm so skeptical, I didn't even believe it. God overwhelmed me. And he says, tell him that I'm going to heal your daughter. And I go, I don't want to tell him that, God, that's weird. He goes, no, no, tell him. Tell him that you're going to heal his daughter. And so I said it to him, apologizing the whole time. It's one thing to say, hey, God's going to give you a great job. There's no risk in that. It's another thing to say, God wants to heal your daughter. By the way, you've had two sons who have passed away because of this. How does God break into your life? Well, the short story was, in all of my embarrassment, because I had not had that experience before, God actually did heal his daughter. It's now 10 or 15 years later, she's also um, uh, uh, a university student now, and has been completely, uh, completely healed. And it wasn't anything I did, but it was one of those experiences where God lets you in on something. And what that does is it lets me sit back and say, how does God, is this, is this part, should this be a normal part of our experience? So I'm, I'm not going there today, but I really did want to bring this up. How does God speak to you? How, how would, do we let God into our lives in ways that are not normal or maybe even uncomfortable? Well, even in, um, even in the book of Timothy, the beginning of the book of Timothy, Paul reminds him, he looks at Timothy, he says, hey, remember what was prophesied about you. Those were the, he doesn't go into detail but we're reading the book of Timothy, so it must have been pretty good because he got into, got into the manuscript. So, uh, so within our series, on, on, as we come to the Advent series, we, I want to do two things in this series. One is this. We want to be asking during this Advent series, how does God break into our lives? How do we hear from him in new ways? The great thing about the Christmas story is many of us, as we come to the Advent season, is that many of us uh, have these really great traditions. There's songs that we sing, there's things that we do, there's family traditions. These uh, are incredibly, uh, it is an incredibly special time. I know in our family, we have certain things that we do, um, and it's that one, it's that season. But at the same time, it can be something that we hear the story and it's so familiar that we kind of put it in a, we kind of put it in its own special place. Um, so one thing, we, a couple of things you want to do. One is that in this series, we want to tie each of our sermons in the story, uh, in our Christmas story, we want to tie it to the nature and character of who God is. Not just to tell the story, but to tell the story and really emphasize. Because if Jesus is the one that we follow, then we want to emphasize, who is this Jesus? So we're always having to strip away the things that we bring to the table, our traditions. Many of them good, but many times can become bigger than the person we actually follow. And the one thing we know about God, if he's really God, he's very unpredictable. Or as C.S. Lewis says, he usually never does anything the same way twice. And I fight to do everything the same way for sometimes efficiency. And the other thing, and this is just my fun thing, somebody with no musical ability, I went to Caitlin and I said, can we tie one of the carols, 
one of the Christmas songs to each of our weeks to actually bring it more meaning. And, um, and so uh, that might happen or not happen again. I'm not musical, but that was another thing. Can we take one, one, uh, one, of, the, um, one of our hymns and, um, and, and tie it uh, to, um, to who, what Jesus is doing? And so here we are entering into the beginning of the story that um, Caitlin and uh, Stephen read from, where an angel of the Lord appears and says to Joseph that this baby you're going to have is going to be someone different. God comes and breaks into his life. And really what's happening here at Christmas, sometimes we think this is the beginning of the story. But technically, we're almost at the end of the story. It's the end of a very, it's, a, it's the end of a very long story. You see, for thousands of years, there's been all of these promises that were given about the Messiah. So we have this promise given. Who was the Messiah going to be? Well, just let me read, if you can, you bring it up. What's the meaning of Messiah? Messiah comes from the Hebrew, uh, Hebrew word, Mishiach, which means anointed one or chosen one. It's the Greek equivalent is the word Christos or, or English Christ. The name Jesus Christ is the same as Jesus the Messiah. So we have this, Jesus the Messiah, the anointed one. Now, you can imagine that this promise, so what was the promise? It was this promise that was given was a promise of redemption. And it's more than just that. It's the promise from the very beginning. It was the, if you think about it for thousands of years, it was the promise to Adam. It's the promise to Abraham. It was the promise to Noah, the promise to David. Each of these people's lives, everybody throughout all of Israel, they were all matched with this promise that somebody, that the Messiah would come, that God had this plan. And then Jesus comes, and his name literally means Yahweh saves. It means he's called Emmanuel, God with us. And this is, and then, so he, not, God just doesn't send somebody as a powerful messenger. It's actually God himself entering into the story. And so we have all of those scriptures that foretell of this. So this is the folklore. This was everybody, everybody in Israel had hoped for. One day Messiah will come. Right? So in Micah 5.2, we read this. This is just some of the prophecies. There's, uh, there are just dozens and dozens of specific prophecies. Again, as God sees the future, the beginning from the end, he's, he's just he's scattering these things about what's going to happen. Right? And you, and, and we, if you think about it, we, we've all had that experience, right? When you're telling somebody something, sometimes you want, you, you actually will drop nuggets of what's going to happen or what's about to happen, right? There's nothing like a bad movie <laughs> when they actually are forecasting, you know, things that, you know, are going to happen that are obvious. Micah 5.2 says this, but you, O Bethlehem of Ephraim, you are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From, from you shall come forth from me, the one who is a ruler of Israel, 
whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. Then we have the Isaiah 7 passage that actually the angel quotes to Joseph. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. A virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will be called Emmanuel. In Isaiah 7. Now you understand, both of these were written 700 years before Christ. Even if you're not a person of faith, we... (laughs) The Dead Sea Scrolls that were found at Quorum will tell you, yes, they, the book of Isaiah was written, you know, probably within this time period. And the same thing, the same thing with the book of Micah. And even, and even in Jesus' lifetime, in John 4, when he meets the woman at the well, this is part of their, this is, this is part of their culture. The woman says, I know that Messiah, who's called Christ, is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one who is speaking to you, am he. So this is their thing. They're looking for Messiah. They're waiting for him. It's sprinkled throughout their history. In every, um, every patriarch, every leader, everyone had had that picture. It had been built in to each, each part of the story. So why was Messiah this important? Why was Messiah important? Let me ask you this. Have you ever been on a losing team? <laughs> Have you ever, ever been on a losing team? Ever followed a losing team? <laughs> right? I'm, I'm not a Cal Bears fan, but I can imagine that your <laughs> football team is... Oh, see? Now Messiah is real to you. Now you're like, oh, let's tell me more. Um, Right? Have you ever been part of a losing, in a losing business, a failing business? Have you ever had part of your family that was damaged and wasn't working? I'll never forget um, working with the, uh, um, the um, people that were addicted. How many of them said, you don't understand. I come from a line of losers. This is my, it's almost fatalism, Right? My parents were this way. My grandfather was this way. I'm doomed to be this way. In the history of Israel, in the history of Israel, um, it was easy to have hopelessness. They had a lot more losing seasons than they had winning seasons. They were always, right, whether they were, whether they were making um, uh, agreements with countries they shouldn't make for safety, but they sat in this precarious place. And I always think it's, 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 um, it, it was amazingly strategic. If we have the, um, can you bring up the map? And I've, I've shown this map before. Um, here's, the, here's the ancient world. And um, in the crossroads between Africa, between um, Asia, between uh, Europe, it all goes through this, very tiny strip of land. And if you've been to the, you've been there, it's, I mean, I, I drove further to church than that country is wide today. And you get outside Jerusalem on the other side, from Jerusalem down, you get outside of Jerusalem and there is nothing there. You do not swing around Jerusalem in that. It's, you know, there is no water, there is no vegetation. It is, it is 
There is nothing. So the trade route has to go through there. And what does God do? He puts his people right in the center. He says, these are my people. Everybody believes in many gods. They go, you'll believe in one God. And when we look at the Old Testament and the principles that are laid out in the Old Testament, it's, remember, it's like, welcome the foreigner, people that travel through the land. Don't pick the end of your crops so they could have something to eat. They were supposed to be a different type of person, a different type of people that followed a very different God. Right there, small country, smack dab in the middle of, of all the physical trade routes. And so everybody wanted to make sure... That, if you owned that land there, you secured your trade route. So they were always being conquered by Egypt, by Assyria, by Babylon. Everybody came down. And at this time when Jesus was alive, they were conquered by the Romans. So who was Messiah? Messiah was going to come and give them independence and freedom. A powerful figure, one sent from God. But what, so who, so who comes in this, in, as, as, as we're seeing that not only did, um, was there a promise given that there's this promise that's now being fulfilled in the scriptures in Jesus, that he's God with us. He comes as a baby, a baby. Wait a minute. How, right. We can hear the babies. That's not, that, how does the, I was, I want to, we, we, how does that, how, how does Messiah come this way? Because it's easy when we tell the story for us to think, well, if I was there, I would have gotten it. I, I think most, I, I wouldn't have gotten it. I probably would have wanted that same Messiah. So that's the question. This is the question. So when it comes to Jesus and who we're looking for, what is your expectation of who Jesus is. What is your expectation of who God is? What is your expectation of the Messiah in your life? If you're, if you feel like your relationship with God goes cold very easily, the question maybe to ask is who and what is our expectation of who God is? Are we turned the wrong way looking for God over here and he's working over here. It takes a lot of energy, effort, and usually a really good community to make sure that we're all speaking to each other saying, this is how we find God. Because just like the children of Israel, when Jesus comes, it's easy for the people of Israel to miss him. Of course, their thoughts and everything they had heard with the Messiah would be powerful, but he comes as a small child. And not only that, it says that he comes, Jesus comes with what? Humility. How are you going to, how are you going to, we're still shaped by the Roman Empire today. How are you going to have any difference in your life if he doesn't have more authority? Well, one of the pictures, I think I've shown you this before. There is this principle called the principle of least interest. Um, and I, something I go back to all the time. And, and let me demonstrate it. When, um, when, before I met my wife, Pam, um, I knew her family. And they said, you should meet our, our aunt. And I said, I don't want to meet anybody's aunt. I'm 26. Don't want to meet anybody's aunt. 
right? It's very kind of you. And then I saw a picture of Pam, thinking that she was 10 years older than me, that she's actually a little like two years younger. I said, who is this? And they said, that's my Aunt Pam. And I said, you should set me up with your Aunt Pam. Come on, do somebody a favor, right? But so, but so here's the principle. So uh, Pam, and I ask her, Pam, you stand up so everybody can see. <laughs> Just stay with me, you know. I'll stand up, okay? So when I first met Pam, I liked Pam. Now, Pam, you don't say anything. I told you. We had this discussion on the way here. Do I have to face you, face the audience? I said, just don't sing. Don't break into song. Don't. They <laughs> said, um, but Pam did, did not like me. <laughs> I guess I'm an acquired taste, right? So, um, so let me ask you this. I liked Pam. I wanted to meet her. I went to try to meet her. She said, no, don't want to meet you. So in that relationship, who has the power? Do I have the power? Or does Pam have the power? Okay, raise your hand if you think I have the power. I like Pam. How many of you believe I have the power? Thank you, Will. I'm going to remember that. <laughs> yes. How many believe, raise your hands, if Pam has the power, right? Right? Well, we know she does. Thank you, Pam. Appreciate that. Yeah. Um, it's called the principle of least interest. It's a sociological principle. Um, whoever loves the least has the power. So Jesus comes with all his glory, with all his power. God's message from eternity is this. I, his desire they will be my people and I will be their God. He wants people, he craves people and gives us free will, wanting us to choose. Can we choose? If we're sitting before the most powerful God. So what happens? Jesus lays down all of his power. In Philippians chapter two, it says this. Who being very, the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be, gra to be used to his advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. Another translation or way to say that is he emptied himself. Jesus places all of his glory and power aside to come to earth and then to even become a servant. So this is the Messiah. So how can this baby be the Messiah? Jesus says, it would be easy for me to show you my power. But I came to seek and to save that which was lost. I came to show you my love. I came to be with you, God with us. This is the story that Jesus is God. He's fully God, 100% God, but he has to come to earth and be fully man to represent us to be with us. So the baby lying in the manger is, is, is Emmanuel. The baby lying in the manger is God coming after you, me, and all of humanity. Now, when you look for God, do you look for him in humility? Do we look for him in power? 
the things in your faith, the things in our faith, when, it, when, it, um, when we look to say, uh, how do we connect with God? Where is your focus? The places where um, the places where the Father dwells are are so often in the places that we uh, are in those places of our blind spots, and we're not looking. And Jesus comes to demonstrate to us; He comes after us. He comes to seek and to save that was lost. He is the Messiah, and so this Christmas, as we head into our Advent season. Jesus, the Messiah, is, um, is, uh, has an invitation for us to lay down our power, to lay down our desires in the same way he did for us. The things that are most important to us, he says, come and put those down. How do we discover this God? Because again, if it's me, I'm probably with every other person looking for God to come and be the conquering hero. But Jesus comes in humility, laying down all of his power. The relationships that are hard in your life, you lay down your power. The things that you fight hard for, financial security, how do you lay that down? That's the Messiah. The, pri uh, the pride of our lives, careers that we build, thinking this will bring me satisfaction or happiness. Jesus says, lay, lay that down. This Christmas is the opportunity to embrace Jesus the Messiah. That God laid everything down for us and took on the, and took on the form of a human being to come after you and me. And he says, come, my yoke is easy. And so as we go into, before we come into our time of communion, I've asked Josh to come up and sing one more frame of come, let us adore him. In the song, it says this word of the father, now in flesh appearing. Oh, come, let us adore him. Come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. Josh, would you lead us? <laughs>